Welcome into episode 23 of the Woopig Weekly Podcast, your weekly source for all things Arkansas Razorbacks. Uh, I'm one half of the host here in Caleb, and we've got other host here, Seth. So we're going to, you know, dive in here. But before that, we've episode 23 is brought to you by University Traditions. Like we said, you know, week in, week out, they've got some amazing hat designs. Go check them out. You know, you can use our promo code VSN15 to receive 15% off your order. Uh, they've got some pretty good Arkansas hats that, you know, like I've said, I, I wear one almost daily that, you know, rep in the state, you know, you know, university tradition, like their, their, you know, company says, you know, let you support your university and all the tra- traditions they have. And so with that, we'll jump over into some Arkansas football news where, you know, it was a big weekend in Fayetteville for a number of reasons. And, you know, one of those main reasons is, you know, you had Arkansas spring game and let people get their first looks at, you know, what, you know, Arkansas could be looking like this upcoming football season. And so, you know, I, I attended this game and, you know, we got some stats to talk through here and some performances from some guys. And so we'll jump right in. So, you know, one of the key things is you've got KJ Jefferson coming back as your returning starter, you know, easily one of the top two, three quarterbacks in the SEC, not if not the best one. Um, And so his stats on the day you look at it, and he went nine for 18 for 131 yards with two touchdowns. He also had eight carries for 15 yards. And then when you start looking at the competition for that backup role, you've got, you know, star, you know, talented freshman Malachi Singleton, who went four for four for 66 yards and a touchdown and had six carries for four yards. And then you've got home state, kid that left and now transferred back to Kobe Criswell who transferred in from North Carolina go eight for 12 for 87 yards one touchdown one interception and had four carries for minus 23 yards but that's a little skewed just because they're not going to let guys run once you know defensive guy gets around they're going to call the play dead so that's not necessarily an accurate representation of his mobility and then you had Kate Fortin go five of seven for 55 yards one TD and three carries for a negative seven yards so kind of what what stands out there in your mind, Seth? Yeah, um, first comment for me is that that interception for Chris Will actually, if I remember correctly, wasn't necessarily his fault. He hit his receiver right in the hands. Um, receiver just couldn't squeeze it. It was a ricochet ball that uh, defensive back, I can't remember who he, who picked it off even actually. But uh, so it wasn't necessarily that Chris Will made a bad throw. Um, I, all in all, I thought everybody's percentages as far as completion rate was just fine pretty outstanding actually outside of KJ, but I mean, obviously KJ's out there trying to squeeze things in between windows and um, obviously he's going to be your starter, but definitely some good competition in the uh, the quarterback room for that backup spot. And I, I, I kind of doubt that they really name a true backup this year. Um, I, I think, you know, in the unfortunate event that KJ does go down or something this year, I, I don't think you're going to have somebody that's going to be the the second guy. I think it's going to be situational. Who's who's been looking good in practice that week? Kind of things like that. Who seems like they're most mentally ready? Maybe Chris Will, maybe Fortin, just some of their experience. Heck, I, I, you never know. But I I really don't, in my mind yet, see somebody that's the true number two guy right behind KJ. If that makes sense, which. That, in my opinion, is probably a good thing, especially with these guys trying to develop some, having some good competition there. 
Yeah. And I think that's one thing I've seen a lot of comments, you know, just from this weekend that, you know, with Enos coming in, I think a big difference that you can already see within just one, you know, few months of an off season compared to, you know, the two, two to three years Browse was here is, you know, there's been a lot of visible difference in what you can see as far as backup quarterback development that's been going on in just those few months that Enos has been here. And not to say anything necessarily bad against Browse, but I don't think he, you know, he was necessarily worried a lot about developing that backup guy as much as making sure, you know, KJ, the guy had the playbook down, whereas Enos, you know, he's doing both. He's making sure KJ knows what he's doing, but also developing these other guys. Cause like you said, if there's an unfortunate event that KJ does go down, we've got to have somebody that's ready. I mean, you saw that, you know, kind of bite us last year where KJ went down and we had LSU on the ropes. And if we would have had somebody that was really prepared and had been developed, we probably could have stole a, a stole a win there. So. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good take. I, I will say this. I think this is like the perfect storm for Enos in a way where he's coming into a quarterback's room that has a lot of talent. But then you've got that guy that in, in KJ that's um, a very seasoned veteran, understands playbook well. You, you're not going to have to teach him a whole lot other than, you know, maybe a little bit of a few changes for your scheme specifically. Um, but it, it – theoretically should make it easy for Enos to be able to, okay, you know, I, I know I don't have to worry about KJ so much. I can actually kind of focus on, okay, I got KJ up to speed where I want him very quickly now. So now I can kind of work on developing these backup guys and set myself up for long-term success. So that I'm, I'm hoping and kind of thinking in my head that that's kind of a perfect storm for Enos. Yeah, that's very true. I think that's a, you know, you couldn't ask a, a much better situation to bring a new offensive coordinator into, you know, you have a lock in your very experienced starter. You know, you've got a, a guy that's transferring in that's, you know, had some college experience and then you've got a talented freshman coming in that can also learn from those two guys. So like you said, yeah, it's almost seems like it's a perfect situation for Enos to come in. And it's so then, true. yeah. So we'll jump over to our running back stats. And I mean, you can't, it's going to be hard not to be pleased with, you know, just the running back depth we have this year. You know, you had Rocket Sanders go 12 carries for 50 yards on the day, average of 4.2 yards per carry. A.J. Green have eight carries for 56 yards for a seven point or seven yards per carry. Uh, he also had three receptions for nine yards and a touchdown. You had Rashad Dominion for 14 carries for 47 yards, averaging 3.4 and one reception for three yards. And then, Jezreel Batchett, three carries for 18 yards and six yards per carry. So, I mean, we saw our depth last year. You know, I think this just shows you, again, the depth that we had at running back, and that's not even considering when Dominic Johnson gets healthy and is added into that mix as well. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much – it's almost the same running back room as we had last year, which is – another one of those situations was kind of a weight off Eno's shoulder. He doesn't have somebody, you know, that's a fresh face that he's having to teach a scheme to plus get them kind of integrated into the personnel packages and things like that. You've got guys here that are, that are seasoned vets in a way, uh, especially with rocket Sanders, AJ green's been around for a year or two now. And then Dominion played last year, actually he had quite a few carries last year and, and played well. So you've got, Three guys, obviously Rocket's the main the main guy there. It's kind of your workhorse. But you've got some guys behind him that are super talented. So um, 
we've got a pretty stout running back room for sure. Yeah, and I think something that I visibly noticed myself at the game when you looked at KJ and Rocket, you know, these guys, not necessarily a you know bad way from last year, but you know they almost look to me a tad slimmer and you know maybe a, a step or two faster this season. I don't know if something changed with our new strength and condition coach that came in last year, but you know just from what I saw in the spring practice, you know they both looked you know, incredibly poised, fast, you know, like they're ready to go. Yeah, I can't beat that. I I mean, I know we've we've kind of been tattered on bruising guys and having some some stout run plays where you get a lot of those yards after contact, but speed kills in the SEC. So it's it's good to have guys that got the speed behind it as well. Yeah. And then we'll jump over to our running our wide receivers and tight end stats where this is I think where you're gonna see most of question marks come going into the season is, you know, who's going to be our guys this year. Cause you have Hazelwood leaving, you have a few other guys that moved on, whether it be per transfer or, you know, taking their chance to go to the league, but we're going to have a lot of fresh faces, you know, receiving wise. And so when you start breaking down the spring game, I think the guy that stands out the most to me, and, you know, you see the stats here, and I think he was highly talented coming in, you know, as a freshman is Isaiah Satania. He had three receptions for 95 yards and two touchdowns. Then you have tied in Ty Washington had three receptions for 41 yards. He's a guy that you saw last year in the bowl game kind of start, you know, his story of making a name for himself with a touchdown catch in the bowl game, you know, such a clutch, you know, play there. Then you had Sam Mbake that, had three receptions for 25 yards, and he also had one carry that was a reverse around the end for 18 yards and a touchdown. Landon Rogers, two receptions for 31 yards. Andrew Armstrong, two receptions for 25 yards. Isaac, Isaac Tesla, one reception for 11 yards. Luke Haas, one reception for eight yards. And Bryce Stevens, one reception for 14 yards. So kind of what, what, what are these numbers telling you, you think? Well, I mean, you, you kind of – I thought you hit the nail on the head right there at the beginning as far as not sure exactly who's going to step up and be the guy. I'm not really sure if we're going to have the guy this year, kind of like we've, we've had, you know, in a few years past. Um, obviously, Satania was lights out. I mean, three reception and with two of those being touchdowns for 95 yards was a pretty stout stat line. And, you know, imagine that being for a whole game, you know, being in for a whole game, kind of seeing what that could be. Um, I it's too early to tell, though, frankly. I mean, I, I'm glad to see the ball getting spread out to a lot of different guys. Um, that means you're already building trust with a lot of your – a lot of different receivers. Obviously, it's a spring game, so you're, you're trying to get a lot of guys out there to get some reps. So, you know, take everything with a grain of salt there. But that, that generally means you're, you're building chemistry off the rip. You know, I'm I'm glad to see Luke Haas get a reception in there. Um, but I, I, I just think it's a little too early to really – take too much heat off any of these numbers specifically. Um, so you got a lot of different quarterbacks out there thrown to a lot of different receivers. So it's, it's good to see the chemistry that they're already building, but I wouldn't take a whole lot out of all of this just yet as far as who's going to step up and be your, your main, you know, three, four receivers yet. Yeah. And I think that's something that you see here, you know, some of these names that we have that were transfer guys that are expected to come in and, you know, 
step up and take a lot of a lot of those receptions and you know you see them have you know Armstrong and Tesla you know two of the guys that came in with just a total of three receptions between the two of them I think those are guys that you're going to see as we continue through summer ball and, and getting into fall camp you know that that their relationship and you know just timing with KJ is going to continue to grow and I think that's what you know you're going to see with these receivers who steps up, who has that best chemistry with KJ and what that's going to look like in the fall. Yep. More to see there for sure. But got a lot of guys with talent in that room though, too. So the sky really is a limit for this team. I I know that's kind of a cliche to say, but man, there's, there's so many new things going on with this team. A lot of talent. You got a lot of returning talent with a lot of new talent. Um, Obviously, you know, scheming, you're, I can't help but think we're going to have, you know, obviously some some different offense. And obviously we we averaged a ton of yards the last few years, but I, th- I felt like we struggled to score at times under uh, Browse offense. So I'm hoping we see some improvements there. But there, there's so many guys that could really step up and show out with some of the returners that we, that we have as well. So it's going to be an exciting year to see kind of where everything shakes out and how – how well we're able to perform to kind of our, our ceiling. Yeah, that's true. And then I think when you talk about, you know, we said receivers, we had a few questions, but when you flip over the defensive side of the ball, I think this is where you get more of, or most of the questions coming in at, and we'll just look at a few stats here where you, for when you just talk about tackles on the day, you had linebacker Jordan Crook lead the team in tackles with 10. You had linebacker Carson Dean with eight. Linebacker Chris Pupal with seven. Defensive tackle Taran Carter with seven. Defensive end Nico Dalver with six. Defensive back Quincy McAdoo with six. Uh, defensive back TJ Metcalf with six. Linebacker Antonio Greer with five. Defensive back Jaden Johnson with three. Defensive t- tackle Kyle Thompson with three. Defensive end John Hill with three. So, you know, just looking at those alone, and then you have sacks. You know, you had defensive end Landon Jackson have two sacks for a total loss of 14 yards. You know, Nico Davalier having two sacks for loss of 13 yards. Defensive tackle Taran Carter with one sack with, you know, minus four yards. And defensive end Zach Williams with one sack for minus five yards. So I know we've talked about in previous episodes that concern about the defensive line and their depth and how well they might be able to perform. But just, you know, seeing these numbers here between the tackles and the sacks that, you know, that gives me some promising, you know, intrigue there. Yeah. Obviously uh, earlier in the year, Pittman was talking good things about Landon Jackson. I think he's going to be one of those guys we got to lean on. Um, You know, he's a returning guy who really played well last year. He could have a kind of a, a year where he steps up even more this year, I think. So I'll I'll be curious to kind of see how his numbers shake out as the year gets going. Um, But then, yeah, there's a lot of guys there. Um, I was, you know, obviously the defensive backs are flying around a little bit. You got McAdoo, Metcalf with six tackles apiece. So that's good to see. Um, I I really thought McAdoo was kind of a – game changer for us last year honestly that kept us in some games and stuff whenever we had so many guys get injured so glad to see him really you know kind of still taking on that defensive back role converting from wide receiver over I think he's kind of taking that on um 110 percent I've I've been happy with the results there for sure I, I'm 
it's good to have players like that that don't mind making some changes to do whatever helps the team out and then kind of thrive in that spot. So that's, that's always exciting to see. But it's definitely, like you said, a, a little bit of a question mark defensively on on what the what this is going to look like when we actually get to, you know, game time, SEC games, things like that. You know, how well do these guys actually shape up against other SEC talent? I, I really think we're just going to have to wait and see on that. I think the – kind of similar to the offense, honestly. I think the talent's there. I think the the scheming is there. The new, new defensive coordinator um, kind of bringing in a little bit of a, a different look than what we've seen over the last couple of years. Um, but it's just how is this going to shake up whenever we actually play SEC caliber competition? You, you just don't really know that until you get into that. Yeah, that's true. And then finishing up some of these stats defensively, you had pass breakups. You had defensive back Dallas Young with one, linebacker Antonio Greer with one, Jalen Lewis with one. And then that one interception I believe we were talking about earlier with um, Criswell, Ladarius Bishop got the interception off of, uh, I believe it was tipped ball by Antonio Greer, and he had a 74-yard return on that before they blew that play dead. So, you know, Another, you know, hopeful look as you see, you know, active hands on in our secondaries, guys stepping up and making some plays. Uh, I think that's something that hopefully we can move on from a rough year last year and have a little bit more success this year. Very true. So I'll, I'll cover the special teams look here from the spring game. Um, so Cam Little had three field goals. Um, three, three makes, excuse me, um, one from 47, one from 40, and one from 58, which is a pretty long field goal. So that's obviously good to see him kind of carry carry on what he was going after last year. I thought he kicked extremely well for us last year, probably one of the best kickers we've had since Zach Hawker. And then uh, Blake Ford had three as well. Excuse me, three attempts. Two were no good and one was good. His first one was 33 yards. Uh, was no good. Second, 38 yards, no good. And then uh, the last one, 24 yards, was good from the middle of the field. And then PATs, Cam Little, Alex Hurts, and Blake Ford all hit their PATs. Um, on the kickoff duty, Devin Bell, Cam Little, and Blake Ford all had kickoff attempts. And then on, on the punts, Max Fletcher had two punts, averaging 42.5 yards. Devin Bell had two punts, averaging 42 yards. And then Owen Lawson had one punt for 44 yards. What's your take on the special teams? <laughs> a little too early to tell? Yeah, a little bit. But hopefully, you know, as far as when you're thinking about field goals, PATs, you know, it's good to have a returning guy in Cam Little that you know you know what he's got. He can make those big kicks when needed, you know, and to see, you know, maybe some improvement in leg strength this year, you know, hitting a – I know it's different in a game-time situation, but just the fact that you can hit a 58-yard field goal and, you know, from when I saw it, it, it looked good probably from 60, honestly. Just, you know, I know it's like we said, it's different than in, an in-game situation where there's a little bit more pressure on you, but I think it's showing you that he's – Still got it. You know, hopefully we'll make some more big kicks for us this year. Um, and then as far as I think the question mark is really going to come in the punt game where I know that's a – we struggled in that a little bit last year. You know, from this year, what are we going to see this year? Um, you know, you got Max Fletcher, who's more of an Aussie-style punter that, you know, is a, you know from Australia. I believe his brother plays for Cincinnati. And then you got Devin Bell and – Owen Lawson, who are guys that 
are new faces that you know we didn't see much of last year or weren't here last year. So I think that's going to be your toss up on the punt game. What what happens there? Yeah, I think that's very true. I, I I definitely hope we see some improvements compared to last year. No matter who really gets the the majority of the duty there, hoping we don't have to punt too much. <laughs> yeah, that 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 would be the ultimate goal. Um, and then as we kind of wrap up on some football news here, um, unfortunately, news came out. It was either yesterday or day before that former Arkansas defensive end Chris Smith passed away. So. You know, a young guy that he had a few years in the NFL. I believe he was playing in the XFL. And, I mean, you hate to see young guys like that kind of in their prime, you know. But, you know, our thoughts are with his family, and, you know, hopefully they'll make it through this terrible situation. Yeah, that's very true. I hated to see that. I I remember really enjoying watching him play back in, like, the Trey Flowers era and all that. He was – kind of an undersized undersized defensive end that overproduced if that makes sense he was a stud we'll we'll shift gears and kind of look at some basketball news um we've we've talked a good bit about some of the leaving players the returning players transfer portal things like that so we'll kind of briefly go over kind of where we sit today um so we'll obviously the the players that we know are leaving at this point Kamani Johnson Nick Smith Jr Ricky Council and Anthony Black um, with Nick Smith, Ricky Council, and Anthony Black all going for the NBA draft. Wish them the best in, in their endeavors there. Um, returning players so far, Trevor Brazil, Jalen Graham, Joseph Pinion, and Darian Ford all officially returning. Um, got some players that are still questionable with Jordan Walsh. The The news articles are heating up kind of about him supposed to be making a decision here relatively soon, I believe. Um, Devo Davis, who is is – he's exploring the draft. And then uh, Makai Mitchell, not really 100% sure where he's going to land considering his brother's in the transfer portal. And normally they, where one of them goes, the other one goes. Um, so kind of following up on the transfer portal so far that are leaving is Mikael Mitchell, obviously, and then Barry Dunning. And then um, some committed transfers that are coming in, filling some of these roles for some of the guys that are either transferring out or entering the draft, et cetera. Um, it's Keon Minifield Jr. I think we've talked about him a good bit before. Tremont Mark, um, Khalif Battle from Temple, Jeremiah Davenport, and then I think the most recent one um, was L. Ellis, 6'3", 180-pound guard um, from Louisville, if I remember correctly, who averaged 17.7 points per game last year, 2.6 rebounds per game, 4.5 assists per game on a 41% field goal shooting percentage, um, 31.9% from three, and then 81% from the free throw line. Um, so – so anything I missed um, that we need to add there on committed transfers or anything like that, Caleb? No, I think we're all caught up. And I think, you know, for me, the most surprising thing, I think that as news has come out is, was the, the Barry Dunning transfer. I didn't see him as a guy that w- was going to leave. Um, I get it. We're bringing in, we've got a lot of guards that are coming in and he was, he played that guard slash four spot. So you're kind of three, three guard. You know, we've got a lot of guys coming in. You know, you see Tremont Mark, Cleef Battle, and Jeremiah Davenport that are all, you know, six four, six five, six seven that are going to play that three spot where he played at. So, I mean, I get the room is getting crowded, and, you know, we wish him the best wherever he goes. But he, he's a guy that I think to me was surprising that he decided to leave. Yeah, I agree, especially considering some of the comments that were made about him um, early last year 
where he was, you know, one of the most hardworking players on the team. I, I, I don't want to talk bad about everything like that at all, but I think there may be, you know, some of the level of like the, the talent ceiling just wasn't maybe quite there um, in SEC caliber style ball. That may not be the case. Uh, that may just kind of be my my own gut feeling on it or whatnot. But when you hear, you know, coaches saying that he's the hardest working guy in the gym, but still doesn't get a whole lot of playing time. I mean, that your, uh, your shot making ability, your, your talent level may just not quite be where some of the other guys are. So wishing the best and wherever he ends up landing. Yeah. And then when you start looking at, you know, how's our roster going to shape out, you know, we've brought in you now five guys from the transfer portal, which, you know, I think there's been a lot said that, you know, there's a good chance all five aren't going to be here. You know, there's – I know for sure Tremont, Mark, and L. Ellis are both, you know, testing kind of similar to Devo, testing out the NBA waters. But if they do come back, they're going to come to Arkansas. Um, and L. Ellis is a guy that kind of – a lot of people have been talking about that he's interesting because, you know, we, we, we saw him in Maui as we played the Louisville team that he was with last year. But also, you know, he averaged 17 – Point seven points per game, but I think the stat that we didn't mention here that a lot of people are kind of worried about and are surprised uh, that must went after a guy with the status his turnovers. I think he averaged a lot of turnovers last year per game, and I, I, I forgot the number on his total turnovers per for the the season last year, but it was pretty high. So a lot of people are wondering what is there something that must sees that you know maybe can be easily corrected at all fix some of those turnover issues, you know, what, what's your take on that? Well, um, don't have him run point. <laughs> I mean, I, obviously he's, you know, he's going to have to handle the ball some, but I, I, you know, if, if, if you got a guy like that that can score the ball, if you can maybe take him, just tweak his game just a touch, you know, and I, I think Keon Minifield will likely be your, your main point guard. Um, I, don't quote me on that side. I'm not 100% sure. But if that is is the case, I mean, that may take some of the duties off of L. Ellis um, as far as handling the ball predominantly. And, and you could see his turnover numbers go down, maybe still keep his scoring numbers up that way. I, I'm no expert, but uh, I, I did definitely trust Muss. I think he – I think he's trying really hard right now to address the needs of finding, you know, those scoring guys to kind of come in and fill the spots for the three guys that you're losing to the NBA that were our predominant scorers in Nick Smith, Ricky Council, Anthony Black. Um, I, I really think he's trying to find pieces to help um, kind of give Trevor Brazil a little bit more freedom to pull threes or drive into the lane, cut things like that. I really think the team is about to be built around Trevor Brazil. I don't like I said, don't don't quote me on that, but I really think that's your main piece going into next year. And he's trying to to add some scoring around him. Yeah, that's very true. And I, I think it's one thing that everybody knows is you know, you know, you're not gonna play for Musk if you turn over the ball. So that's one thing that, you know, maybe must see something that he can, you know, work with him over the summer if he if he ends up does deciding to come to Arkansas and not pursue the NBA. That's something that Muss is probably going to address real fast. But, you know, it's like you said, we're addressing that shooting percentage. And when you're talking about that, you know, the five transfers that we've got committed so far for last season, they went 393 of 484 from the free throw line. So that's an average of 81.2%. 
and they went 282 out of 848 from three-point range, which is a 33.3%. And so from that free throw percentage, their free throw percentage was plus 9.8% compared to Arkansas's this past season, and their three-point shooting was plus 2.2% compared to Arkansas's this past season. So it's like you said, you see – you know, must going in and address addressing those things in the portal. Yeah, very true. Especially free throws. I mean, that's that's one thing that sticks out to me on all these guys outside of Keon Minfield is they're all shooting right around that eighty percent clip or higher. Khalif Battle especially impresses me. I mean, he shot ninety percent from the line last year and averaged right at eighteen points per game. He shot thirty five percent from three. I mean, he he really he's got the potential to come in and be that kind of knockdown shooter that. I I really just don't think we had last year. I mean, Pinion showed spurts. Brazil, obviously, when he wasn't injured, showed spurts as well. Um, Smith showed spurts. But nobody really was that guy that felt like was a constant three-point threat. You know what I mean? So, I'm excited to have him come in. Yeah, I think he's a guy that I think I said it last week was, you know, I see him kind of coming in and being having a Ricky Council type role where, you know, he's an athletic guy, maybe not as athletic as far as the dunks go, but, you know, an athletic scorer that can also shoot. Um, and I think that's what you saw a little bit with Ricky Council last year, a guy that came in, has some college experience, can knows how to score the basketball. And so I think we're going to see him in that type of role along with, you know, Brazil that can just, you know, feed off one of one another. Very true. Uh, still a lot of things up in the air, obviously, with Jordan Walsh, Devo, guys like that that could really be kind of the icing on the cake for this team. But just some of the transfers that have come in, I've, I've already got pretty high hopes for next year being another good tournament year for us. Yeah. And so as we you know switch to some women's basketball, we had some news where – I believe yesterday Riley Langerman entered the transfer portal. You know, hate to see her go. I know she played some tough minutes for Arkansas this year. You know, it was a really hard-nosed rebounder. You know, several weeks, you know, she in games, she led the team in rebounding, would go after the ball. But, you know, again, it's like, you know, we wish, you know, her the best of luck wherever she may go. Um, but, you know, I think there's a lot of excitement for next year's team is with some of the recruits we've gotten in. Coming in mainly one of the McDonald's All-American we got coming in from Florida, I believe, and was also Florida's Gatorade Player of the Year with Talia Scott. So, you know, this team will have a chance to bond early as the Arkansas Women's Basketball Program announced today that they're in August they'll be traveling to Europe to have some exhibition games in Croatia and Greece. So taking a road trip across the pond. It's <laughs> very true be exciting for him i'm sure yeah all right we'll uh kind of shift it out of the basketball world and over into tennis where arkansas women's tennis had a match with missouri on april 14th and won this match four to two then the men's tennis team played alabama on april 14th as well unfortunately dropped that match six to one and then they turned around a couple days later played tennessee on april 16th and lost that match four to zero um so Women's tennis got a win, thankfully, but the men's tennis still still kind of in a skid. Um, definitely been a rough year. Um, I don't not much more to say about it than that. Honestly, it's kind of just been a hard year for them. Yeah, that's true. I mean, hopefully they get back on track. We'll see what happens there. 
losing streaks can sometimes be hard to break, and that's something that maybe they'll be able to fix here, you know, in the, the coming weeks. So we'll jump over from tennis to Arkansas softball, where Arkansas had a series weekend series against UAB. The Blazers come to town, and, you know, Arkansas got that kicked off with a, a series win, and they actually swept the series, but they also um, started off on – Friday getting the win five to zero where Arkansas's workhorse Janice Dells went seven innings zero with two hits zero runs two walks twelve strikeouts on ninety seven pitches and this was her fourth complete shut fourth complete game shutout of the season and offensively you had Reagan Johnson go one for three with an RBI Ryland Hedcock Hedgecock hit her eighth double of the season and Kylie Halverson went one for three and then on the Saturday game. Arkansas came in and won this game 11 to 1 in five innings. So, another, yet another run rule game for Arkansas. That seems like it's been a pretty common occurrence this season for the, the Hogs, and we hope to see them keep it up. But in this game, you had freshman Hannah Kamazin get the start, and she went all five innings, allowing three hits, one run, one walk, and one strikeout on 69 pitches. And this was her second complete game. So, Arkansas in this game had 11 runs on 11 hits. You had Rylan Hedgecock have a two RBI double in the bottom of the first to get things started. And then Hannah Kamenzin, you know, was our best hitter on the day, went two for three with three RBIs. You have Reagan Kramer that went two for three and Hannah Gamble that went for two for three with an RBI and a walk as well. And then Arkansas finished things up on Sunday game where they got the win to sweep the series 6-0. Callie Turner started this game going five innings with one hit, zero runs, five Ks on 60 pitches and where she was relieved by Nikki McGaffin, who went two innings, zero hits, zero runs, two strikeouts on 23 pitches. And in this game, Arkansas homered twice. You had Reagan Kramer have a three run blast in the fourth. Ryland Hedgecock went two for three with a solo home run, which was her 15th of the season. And then Reagan Johnson went two for four with a triple and an infield single. And then after getting that sweep over the weekend, you know, they came back and had a game today just before we started recording, you know, where they beat Texas A&M Commerce 8-1. to Robin Heron got the start in this one going five and two-thirds of an inning with three hits, one run, ten strikeouts on 74 pitches, where she was relieved by Janice Dels, who went the final one and one-third innings with zero hits, zero runs, and three strikeouts on 21 pitches. In this game, you had Ryland Hedgecock go one for three at the plate with one home run. Italia Rijo went one for two at the plate. And Reagan Johnson went two for four with two RBIs, and Kylie Alverson went one for four with three RBIs. So you know Arkansas's gotten back right back on track after that. You know losing that series to Georgia, you know a couple weekends ago. So you know what are you seeing here from the Lady Razorback softball team? Well, uh, the biggest thing um, is just being able to hit the ball. I mean, that's make or break in the softball world, and then having a couple of good pitchers is icing on the cake for sure with Janice Dills and then obviously um well Robin Herring's been solid for us and so has Hannah Cammons and um but like you said being able to kind of get back on track shake off a series loss and and pick up a sweep obviously you know outside of an SEC team but still it's tough to sweep anybody um so that's good to see um Hannah Kamenzen was named freshman of the week for her second time of the year. So you've got other people stepping up outside of just Janice Delsey. And um, 
the sky's the limit for this team, man. There, there is so much offensive firepower on this team. You never know when they're going to explode and beat the brakes off somebody, you know. And then with that type of potential, I mean, you know, re- realistically, as far as postseason potential, the, the sky's the limit. Yeah, that's very true. And, you know, like we mentioned with Janice Dallas having the performance in the season she is having this year, continuing from last year where she won SEC Pitcher of the Year, you know, with the, those solid performances, she was just over the weekend drafted ninth overall by the Oklahoma City Sparks in the Women's Professional Fast Pitch League. So, you know, that that ability that she has, you know, is, you know, being recognized and, this is a opportunity that she can either pursue after the season or decide to come back to Arkansas. We'll see what happens, but you know, that is her, you know, home state team that drafted her there. So that's uh, something that's super exciting to see her get the opportunity to do. So, you know, whether she decides to come back to Arkansas for another year, go play professionally, that's, you know, we wish, wish her the best of luck there. So with that, we'll move on to some Arkansas baseball um, where Arkansas took on, Tennessee for the home series this weekend uh, to go along with everything else going on. So you want, you want to recap some of those games, Seth? Yeah, man, I'll take game one here. Um, so game one on, on Friday night, 14th, Hunter Holland got the start. Um, this was one of the most hyped up games to to date for this season for us, obviously. I mean, uh, Baumark was absolutely packed for the whole weekend, honestly, but weather was perfect. I mean, Hyped up game like crazy. People were waiting in line to get into the hog pen six, seven, eight hours before the game even started. So, I mean, the hype was definitely there. So, Hunter Holland got the start. Um, he pitched six innings, which is pretty outstanding considering, you know, Tennessee's offensive firepower ability. So, getting six good innings out of Holland was really a perfect way to start out this series. He gave up five hits, two runs, had one walk then had six strikeouts on 101 pitches. So pitch count kind of got up. He had to work through several um, good at-bats from some of the Tennessee hitters, but he really had a great game. And he was relieved by Hagen Smith, who uh, pitched the remaining three innings, only gave up one hit, zero runs, had a pretty eye-popping seven strikeouts on 55 pitches in those last last three innings. So Hagen really came in and shut the door for any kind of Tennessee comeback in those last three innings. So – having him in the bullpen really kind of in that ace in the whole wild card type of pitching position where we can start him or have him come in and relieve or close games out is, has been great for us so far. Um, so on the offensive side in this game, Tavian Josenberger hit a two run shot um, to put Arkansas up three to two. And we didn't relinquish the lead after that. Um, Jace Borfin added a solo home run in the fifth inning to extend the lead Um a five to two and Kendall Diggs finished with a team leading two hits and a stolen base in this game. Obviously, I mean, this is, this was a kind of that, that Friday night SEC matchup where runs are sometimes hard to come by. So it was great to get a five to two win to start this series out. Yeah, very true. I think this was, like you said, a much anticipated series for the, you know, Razorback baseball team, especially, you know, there's the, the whole, not necessarily drama, but the whole storyline of, Vitello comes back to town after he left Arkansas a few years ago to take the job at Tennessee, you know, almost the prodigal son returning in a sense. And, but, you know, still couldn't beat the master, you know, the, the teacher with Dave Van Horn, you know, just still showing why he's one of the top dogs in the SEC as far as coaching. And, you know, we'll follow that up with game two where 
on Saturday after the spring game, you had Arkansas baseball going on where they won this game six to three. It was it was much different weather than what Seth described in the Friday night game that where we had cold front come in and you know we had a pretty windy and freezing game, but Arkansas still managed to get that win six to three. Will McIntyre got the start in this one where he went six innings, allowed six hits, two runs, three walks, five strikeouts on 86 pitches, where he was relieved by Gage Wood, who went three innings, allowed one hit, one run, two strikeouts, or two walks and six strikeouts on 60 pitches. And then offensively, you had Taven Yosenberger that came out first at bat of the game in the bottom of the first, having an 11-pitch walk to lead off. And, you know, you can't ask much more than that from your leadoff guy to work a pitcher 11 pitches to start the game. And then you had Jace Borfin hit a home run in the first to put Arkansas up 2-1. to one. So this was a game where Arkansas stayed rolling. You know, I think this is a – we're seeing more development from Gage Wood as, you know, he, he is just a freshman, but he's he's been able to step up with some of these injuries we had and had, is a guy that we can depend on to come in and close the game out. Yeah, it's very true. Um, you got the series win here, so that was great. But one of the things that stood out to me was McIntyre. I mean, he's gave up six hits and two runs, but I mean, it's it's pretty solid starting or pretty solid outing for your starter. I'm um, going six innings, picking up five strikeouts, only throwing 86 pitches. Um, he's he's been a bright spot for us this year, kind of ever since that very first weekend down there in Texas. Um, he, he's been great for us especially, you know, losing Jackson Wiggins. You've, you've had to have guys kind of step up, and we'll cover another one here in a minute from, from game three. But, but yeah, getting the, the series win here, kind of taking the pressure off for game three and everything, I, I think helped us out. And then realistically, your your first two games, you only use four pitchers. I don't think you can ask anymore, you know, or, or get have any better results from your starters and your, your uh, closers at that point. Now, that's – you can't start a, a series any better than than that out of your first two games. So in game three, um, kind of spoke to it a second ago, but we we did get the sweep, winning seven to two. Um, ben Bybee got the start, so a little bit of a different name than some, but definitely one of those guys that's, that stepped up for us this year. He pitched three in the third inning, um, gave up one hit, two runs four walks, unfortunately. So that was kind of the, the rough patch there for him. I'm um, at three strikeouts on 56 pitches. He was relieved by Dylan Carter, who's really been a bright spot for us in that kind of long relief role this year, who pitched four and two thirds innings, six hits, um, one walk and three strikeouts on 73 pitches. And then uh, Christian Fouch came in and closed things out in the, in the ninth inning with one strikeout on 12 pitches. Um, we scored six runs on four hits and four walks in the first one and two-thirds innings to kind of get this game going the right direction early on. Um, Arkansas scored three runs in the first and three more in the second. Brady Slavens was kind of the, the guy in this game where he had a bases-clearing triple in the second that really got the crowd into it and kind of – I'm not going to say put the game away early, but it kind of felt like it put, the way, put away the game early. So he finished the game with four RBIs to lead the team. Um, has 173 career RBIs, which is the most among active SEC hitters. So, shout out to Brady there. And then uh, Tavian Josenberger, can't say his name enough, finished one for two with three runs. He had two walks and one stolen base. So, he's he's been great this year on finding ways to get on base and finding ways to score. Um, and then he's got a career best seven home, home runs so far this season with 
quite a bit of season left. So he's having a great year so far for us. And then to cap things off, Jace Borfin very quietly was named National Player of the Week um, just just off of his hitting percentages and the home runs that he's been hitting. I think I think he is four or five games in a row with a home run, um, and his his batting average is still well above 400. So he has been phenomenal for us this year. Can't say enough about Jace. It's very true. He, he's a guy that I think – you know, if he keeps this up, you you've got to almost start adding his name into that Golden Spikes, you know, talk. You know, he's having a very spectacular season. You know, you can't ask for much of a guy to hit much more of a guy than to be hitting over four hundred and hitting multiple home runs in a weekend series. I mean, he's got some stiff competition, you know, within the SEC with some guys down at LSU that are, you know, hitting it out of the park as well. But you know, as he's been one of Arkansas's bright spots as far as a hitter in the you know, past, you know, this past season and, and, and a few in a few years and we've seen. So, you know, I think this was good for Arkansas to, you know, get a sweep. You know, you don't see much in SEC play sweeps happening. Um, so it was good to have Arkansas get that with, especially at home, you know, having that home stand, not letting any games get away at home. Um, as in, and they're currently playing right now. We'll recap it next week, but they've got a, Three to one lead over UCA right now in the top of the seventh. So, you know, we'll cover some stats from that game next week. But, you know, then we know they're going on the road this weekend for a series against Georgia that will start up on Thursday. But that, you know, Georgia's a ranked team that, you know, are is a very competitive team that, you know, we're gonna have to come out with our A game and, you know, be ready to play ball. I think from here on out, the rest of the season is going to be um, pretty – each game is going to be pretty critical. I, I don't really expect us to win every single series. We've still got series against um, Vanderbilt and South Carolina both who are, I mean, playing amazing baseball. So um, definitely going to have to not have our expectations, you know, go way too high after sweeping Tennessee. I know Tennessee was was ranked, and I think we just knocked them out of the rankings actually by sweeping them. But they're still a good team. But you you got to make sure you're not uh kind of counting the eggs before they hatch, if that makes sense. So there, there's still a lot of tough baseball left to be played. You're going to have to kind of keep a level head on the shoulders. So our toughest baseball, I think, is still ahead of us, honestly. Yeah, that's very true. And so, you know, we do have some upcoming events, you know, that for the, you know, throughout the rest of this weekend going into the weekend. You have Arkansas men's tennis taking on Vanderbilt on the April 19th. You have Arkansas men's and women's track and field in the John McDonald Invitational that's going to be hosted here in Fayetteville. That's going to be going on April 20th and 21st. You have Arkansas women's tennis taking on LSU on April 20th. Arkansas baseball traveling to Georgia. April 20th through the 22nd for that series. Arkansas softball is going on the road to uh, for a ser- SEC series against number 16 Kentucky going on April 21st through the 23rd. you got Arkansas soccer taking on Illinois on April 23rd. Arkansas softball comes back home following that series on the road to take on Western Kentucky on the 24th. And Arkansas baseball will go on the road again for just a single-game series a little bit up north to Missouri State on the 25th. So a lot of good baseball and softball coming up in the next next weekend. 
they're going to be a lot a lot of good sports to watch um so yeah what do you see with these upcoming series well obviously baseball and softball the the conference series definitely stick out to me as stuff to watch um you know definitely going to be excited to see how the, the outdoor track and field teams do in that John McDonald Invitational I know obviously everybody has championship expectations anytime the the words track and field get mentioned so that'll be a good thing to keep track of as well hopefully the the tennis teams can kind of get back on track men's tennis could really use a, a win against Vanderbilt on the 19th so but definitely excited about the baseball softball series man uh, this is my my time of year for sure yeah and so as we move on from some upcoming events we got a great hog talk segment coming up for you uh, we have a former baseball player that played for Arkansas from 2012 to 2015. His junior year at Arkansas, he hit for a 327 average, had 80 hits, 20 doubles, six home runs, and 54 RBIs with a .365 on base percentage. And he was a 35th, the 35th round draft pick to the Red Sox. We're going to be sitting down with former Ridgeback baseball player Tyler Spoon. So we'll be right back after this quick break with that interview. You know what I like? I like to be comfortable. I also love representing my favorite sports teams. And in the clutch, I am able to have the best of both worlds. In the Clutch Apparel is your one-stop shop for all things sports. They have officially licensed gear from all your favorite teams and players from the NHL, MLB, NFL, and more. They have sports classic tees from yesteryear and beyond. Check out their full website in the link down below. When you enter the promo code Variety Sports, you get 10% off everything site-wide. Feel comfortable with your sports apparel and go over to their website now at endtheclutch.com. And don't forget to use our code Variety Sports to get 10% off. All right, this week we're excited to welcome to the Hog Talk segment former Ridgeback baseball player Tyler Spoon. So how are you doing today, Tyler? Man, I'm doing well. Appreciate you guys having me on here. I love, love talking ball, so I uh, look forward to it. Yeah, so kind of just uh, let's get started with you. You know, how's life? What are you up to nowadays? Yeah, man, life's great. Um, got two kids, you know, got a little girl and a little boy, um, you know, just trying to keep up with them more than anything. So, um, but as far as career-wise, I'm now working for a bank. I'm a mortgage loan officer, so completely different change of pace. Um, you know, first rising bank, it's been good. It's been, you know, they're good people. So it's hard to beat. So it's, it's been a change of change of pace for me, just very different trying to transition out of baseball to, to doing this, but you know, I enjoy it. And so, um, but really more than anything, the two kids are keeping me very occupied with just about anything and everything. So. Nice man. How long you been uh, doing banking stuff? So I stopped playing ball in 2018. Eight, yeah, 2018 was my last year. So March of 2018 was my uh, when I started with uh, the bank, and then just been doing it ever since. So um, you know, it's it's been good. And again, working with good people, it's hard to beat it. So um, I guess right around five years. So time flies. That's awesome, man. Hope you do a good job. Keep working your way up. That's awesome. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, so so we'll take a quick stroll down memory lane for you. And so let's go through, kind of tell us about your recruiting process in, in high school. Yeah, so recruiting-wise, um, I honestly wasn't recruited by a lot of people. Um, UCA was really the, the big one. UCA, you know, 
a little bit Arkansas State, uh, UALR, um, a lot of – obviously a lot of the Arkansas schools. But as far as Big D1, there was nobody, um, not a single person. And um, UCA made a really good offer to me. Um, and for me, I, you know, junior year, it was really the, the best one I had. I was pretty much dead set to go to UCA. And then um, it was August. It was August going into my senior year, I believe. I'm going blank on which which year. But – um, there's, they do the showcase camp at the university of Arkansas. And so, um, essentially I went to the showcase camp and it was really, they sent invites to a lot of guys in the state or whatever. So, um, ended up, ended up just going, but, um, that is their biggest camp where they also bring all the out of state guys, guys are committed and whatever the situation is. So, uh, we did this camp and last day is, uh, you know, a scrimmage. And so, um, we ended up two different games and I was, I ended up being in the second game with um, all the, all the studs. And really the only, I switched to that game because I had to get to football or excuse me, I was playing the first game. I couldn't get to the second game because I had to get to football. Um, and it was all the studs, all the big time players. And so kind of got thrown in there and got pretty lucky um, and ended up, you know, facing a few guys that were throwing 93, 95 and uh, had like four hits on the day. So, Long story short, that was really when Arkansas even, you know, they, they had talked to me just because obviously I'm a local kid and uh, that's when they offered me. So that was really my entire recruiting process was um, I was really dead set on UCA and pretty much ready to commit and then had a really good day at Arkansas. And, you know, that's all she wrote, you know, to minimum scholarship and I didn't care. I just heard scholarship and I was ready. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what it looked like for me in high school. That's wild, man. One day you can kind of yeah. make a break out. It was like this. It's crazy. Yeah, I hadn't had a breakout day. For, yeah, it, well, I hadn't touched a bat for two months because um, I had already, tr- you know, done with summer ball, transitioned to football, two a days, all that stuff. So um, it was just kind of a crazy deal, man. And just you know, look up, and that's how baseball works. So you don't touch a bat for two months, and you hit unbelievable, but you go zero for five when you've been playing twenty days in a row. So it's just how it is. Yep. So was Arkansas a school that, you know, growing up that you were hoping you'd get an offer from, or is it one of those things that um, they just happened to come around and be one of the more prominent baseball schools that come through and offer you? Yeah, that I mean, I was born and raised in Van Buren, so I'm a hog. You know, I grew up watching, you know, James McCann, Zach Cox, Logan Forsyth, Red Eye, you know, all those guys. Grow, I mean, I was up here all the time, and then, uh, my sister was actually a diamond doll um, up here when I, you know, I guess from ninth grade, 10th grade when, um, you know, really baseball really started taking off for me. And obviously I, growing up here, I always wanted to be hog, you know, didn't matter who it was. It could have been LSU, you know, Texas, any, anybody in, in the country, but I wanted to be a hog. So, um, you know, in the second I got the go ahead from them, that was, that was all I needed. So easy decision at that point for sure, huh? Yes, very easy. Nice. Well, uh, after you got recruited in and everything, um, kind of walk us through your memories and your your experiences playing for DVH. How'd that go for you? What's he like to be around? Yeah, I mean, my first year, you know, when I get there, it was kind of a, a blur, kind of, you know, life comes at you pretty quick. I'm, you know, I'm 5'11", you know, 190 pounds, and I was the second shortest guy on the team. And, like, you know, I wouldn't say I'm tall by any means, but I'm not necessarily short either. So you've got guys that are six, three, six, four. And, you know, first thing for me, I'm like, I don't, I don't fit in here. So a little bit of a, you know, 
dose of reality for you. You know, you think you're good in high school and then you get here and things are just so different. So uh, for me, I registered my first year and I had a lot of talks with Coach Van Horn and, you know, it really wasn't, you know, I, I was a third baseman coming in and, um, you know, first week I'm behind two big leaguers and Brian Anderson and Matt Reynolds at third base. So it's like, you know, go, you know, I ended up going to the outfield, helping catch bullpens, do whatever, because I mean, just didn't really have a place for me. And I, looking back, it's like, yeah, I totally see it. It's not that I wasn't good enough. It's just that there were guys a lot better than I was that were, you know, ready to ready to roll. So, uh, but DVH was really good to me. And, you know, usually it's rare. And when you red, red shirt to come back and, you know, get a lot of opportunity. I ended up going to Alaska for summer ball after that first year um, and had a really good summer in Alaska. Played really, really well. I had like 10 homers, 18 doubles. It was it was a phenomenal summer for me and just kind of exploded. So because um, for me, you know, deep down, you when you red shirt, you always worry about, well, am I going to get the ax? Am I going to be here next year? Am I even going to get a chance? So uh, but I think that summer, you know, and they went to the world. They went to Omaha. I ended up leaving early and going going to Alaska and it was probably the best thing I ever did. Um, you know, after when I came back, it just kind of kept rolling. And uh, just again, he just kind of he called me during the summer when I was in Alaska and just said, hey, just want you to know we're, we're looking forward to having you here. And, um, you know, we're excited, you know, nothing to be concerned about. So that was a that was a big weight off my off my back as well. I mean, it was, you know, again, you think about it a lot, even though you shouldn't. But um, yeah, so it, it was, it was a lot of fun. And then, you know, after that first year, you know, had a, had a good 2012, really had it really, or 2013, excuse me, uh, 2014 had a pretty down year. And then obviously 2015 was incredible and, you know, DVH was good. He was the same great coach the, the entire way through. Um, you know, he, um, if you ask a lot of people that were before my time, I think I kind of caught the end of it. He was a little bit more hard nosed. Um, but towards the end of my time, he kind of mellowed out a little bit. And, you know, I, I love playing for Coach Fanor. I mean, the, the amount of baseball knowledge that guy has was, is unbelievable. I mean, it's just you learn so much, and he's just a winner, you know. And um, it's at the end of the day, no matter what, you want to win, and you want to be around somebody that has a winning program and has a winning culture. And, you know, that's really more than anything what it, what it taught us. And, you know, just as a player, as a person, everything, you know, he – he did it right. He's always done it the right way. And um, obviously that's why he's continued to have as much success as he is. So, yeah. So I know like you, you mentioned him mellowing out a little bit and, you know, we see him now, you know, on game days during the game, kind of, he's very just calm level headed on the, you know, in the dugout, and, you know, is that how he is generally throughout the week here practice or is it a little bit different? Well, it depends on how you play the week before too. So, um, <laughs> you know, if you have a, if you have a rough week, you know, we go on the road and we lose, you know, we get swept or we just lose, lose a series at home and you better get ready to, to practice on Tuesday. Monday's a mandatory day off for all NCAA for baseball. And, but Tuesday, you, you know, if you didn't have a, a midweek game, it was going to be, it was going to be hard. And it was like, get ready to go. So, um, but at the same time, that's what you want from a coach. You want someone that demands excellence. You want someone that's not going to accept losing two out of three at home or getting swept or losing on the road to a bad team. Like, you know, that's, that's what you really should want as a, as a player, if you, if you really want to win. And uh, I fully believe that's the reason, you know, for us in 2015, especially we got so much better because it was just a lot of hard work and kept, kept pushing, kept plugging and finally turned over for us. So, um, you know, but he, he's, I think he's gotten to a point too. I mean, you just, as as a new coach, you know, you think about it, it's just going to be, you're going to be a little bit more uptight and you got to prove yourself. I mean, I, you know, everyone, every coach that is going to be 
the head coach of an SEC school when they first get there is going to be like that. You know, it's hard not to. And I think now he's just so, you know, the all the wisdom he has, just how to handle the SEC schedule, the gauntlet, and just like maintaining a, a, a mellow, calm head through it all. I think that's just really what perseveres and what makes a team really good when uh, it comes down to it. Because it's, you know, if you lose six out of seven in the middle of the SEC, you still, you, know, you could easily win seven of the next eight. It's just kind of how it is. So, um, and he was good, you know, our 2015, we were 11, to t- 11 and 12 to start that year. So one of the worst starts in school history, if not the worst. And, you know, we were losing a lot of one, two run games. And, you know, it was a lot of, you know, he was frustrated, frustrated. And then finally he looked up at us one game, just said, just keep plugging away. I know you guys are working hard. I know you're playing hard. It'll turn or- it'll turn around for us. And it did. It ended up turning around for us. We started winning, started playing well, um, started, you know, pitching, hitting at the right time. I mean, everything just came together. So, um Long story short, yeah, he's he, that mellow head and just keeping that cool really helped us in 2015 and has helped him just get even better as the years have gone on. I, I know for me, it definitely makes it to where uh, if you do see him kind of come out of that level headedness, you know, kind of like he did with Vitello back in 2021 after that Tennessee mm-hmm. series, uh, those stick out to you a little bit more. So, I'm always yeah. kind of excited to see when things like that happen. <laughs> you know, what was the cause behind that? You know, that's not normal for yeah. EVH, you know. so Yeah, exactly. Kind of still going back through memory lane a little bit. Do you have a kind of a highlight game in your head that really sticks out to you as one of your one of your favorites where you mm. performed well, the game was intense, things like that? Walk us through one of those. Man, it's hard to it's hard to beat game three super regional. You know, I mean, that game against Missouri State just you know, I remember the entire game from, you know, the second I woke up that day, really just, it was tense. It was like, you knew it was coming. It was here. It was do or die. And, um, you know, you show up and you look up in the first inning, first pitch, and you can't see an empty seat. And, you know, it was kind of one of those surreal moments too. And um, had a lot of good players I played with that just said, you know, told me, Hey, just at some point when you're in a big game or whatever, just, look around, take it all in, just, just enjoy the moment. All right. Cause it's hard to do it when you get so caught up in things. And I just remember at one point in first, maybe second inning, just looking up and just seeing everybody in the hog pen, everybody, just everybody in the stands. I mean, it was just unbelievably surreal. I mean, it just, you know, 13,000 people or however many people were there, but you know, just that entire game too, was just back and forth, just you know, three to two game. And it was tense the entire way. And I remember ninth inning, just almost like shaking, just, let's 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 do it you know it's just it's just natural so um yeah that that's the easy answer of what's the most memorable game I mean it probably wasn't my best game but you know definitely the most memorable without a doubt really lived up to the moment that's for sure I remember that game (laughs) that was a good that was a good one that was that's one for the books that will be hard to top just at bomb stadium for sure I know just you know from this weekend you know it's like you said you know when you have bomb stadium that's packed full, there's almost no better college atmosphere in baseball than mm-hmm. up right here in Northwest Arkansas. Yeah, no, it's, it's hard to beat. I mean, for sure. I mean, you think about, you know, the only few places that just can match it people wise and atmosphere wise are, you know, duty noble and Alex box. I mean, those are the two that were pretty tough to play in, you know, but I mean, bomb stadium is just one of its own. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And yeah, you know, just the, top-notch facilities and 
how state of the art everything is, is, is unbelievable. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing how great we have it here. Yeah. It's easy to get spooled. That's for sure. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. So, you know, talking about these memories and things, and I've got to ask, what was it like for you either mm-hmm. when you're getting up to bat or in the outfield making a play and something big happens, you do something good and you see all these people just start holding up these giant spoons. Like, what was that like? Yeah, that was, gosh, it was kind of, you kind of just got used to it. But I remember the first time just seeing it, I was I stepped out of the batter's box, went to pick up a sign and, you know, turn around and see the spoon in the stands. And it's just like one of those things, like, no way this is happening. But um, yeah, it was, it, looking back, it was, it was so funny. I mean, it was, it was awesome. You know, one of those things that, you know, I did have one of the most unique, crazy names that you could bring my last name to the park. And so I probably signed more plastic spoons than I did baseball that's baseballs that year. So um, yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty fun. It was, it was everyone that had a lot of people that had the big spoons were really good, good about it and came and found me and, you know, just, yeah, they were really cool. It was, it was a lot of fun. I know just from a fan's perspective, it's, it's fun to have uh, things like that to kind of get involved in the game outside of just the game itself, you know, it really kind of brings the fans into it full circle. So we we definitely enjoy those kind of moments as well. <laughs> yeah, it's always good. I mean, it gives you something to rally around, someone to rally around. So I yeah, I get that as a fan of you know every sport, like the beer hats and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's funny. It's the little things. It is. So uh, we'll kind of shift gears here a little bit, but can you kind of take us through um, the draft process that you went through? How all that went down? Yeah, so for me, so I was drafted in after 2014. I didn't have a great year, um, but you know that I, I, I was still on the draft. You know, a lot of people were wanting to draft me. Um, uh, essentially, I just set my number so high in 2014, and the A's ended up drafting me in the 35th round, I think, something like that. Um, and you know, they knew they were like, hey, we know your number's high, but you know we drafted you just in case something happens and, you know, we want to obviously just let you know we're interested for next year as well. So um, for me, you know, if the money wasn't there, I wasn't going to do it. So ended up coming back 2015 and, um, you know, I knew that was going to be my last year just because school wise I was done and, you know, that was probably going to be our year to do something. So, um, so after really the draft process for me, a, a lot of it in 2015 transitioned from me being an outfielder to me being like a second baseman catcher, um, just because one, again, like I said, 5'11", you know, 190 pounds, 195 pounds, pretty, not a very projectable right fielder in the big leagues, which I totally gets. So, um, you know, as it started getting closer, it was more, Hey, do, can you, can you play infield can you catch? And so for me, a lot of leverage was as a catcher. So, um, you know, as, as the draft came, it was a, you know, I tried to go as an outfielder for a while. Um, you know, that was really what I wanted to do because it was second nature to me and, you know, wanted to see if anybody wanted to take me and, um, you know, and it ended up, you know, I got a lot of calls in like that five through 10 round range that, you know, we're like, Hey, we'll give you, you know, a thousand dollars and, you know, a Chipotle gift card to come play if you want. Essentially, that was kind of what it was. And, um, you know, for me, I was like, well, I'd rather at least just get a little bit of money. You know, all this fails, I can just go catch or play second base and get a little bit more money. So, um, as it kept going and finally just kind of said, Hey, all right, I'll catch. And so the Red Sox were kind of, we were talking back and forth and, like, all right, well, let's let's make it happen, and we kind of agreed to a number, and um, you know, it was that was it. So, um, and then after that, just tried to figure out how to catch for a few years in, in the minor leagues, and yeah, here we are now. So, 
Yeah, we we talked to uh, Matt Goodhart. It's been a few weeks ago now, and he was he was yeah. kind of going through his process as well about you really have to try to get every ounce of money you can off those signing bonuses and stuff. Cause if you're, if you're in the minors, that's what you have to live off of essentially. So you probably did the right thing there for sure. Trying to transition to, to catch and make a few more bucks there. Cause that's, I know that's a, that's a really tough um, environment to have to go through all that. I, I can imagine, but it's a yeah. cool sort, man. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. It was, it's, it's definitely a lot, a lot of stress. You start to think about it as it gets closer and you try not to, but you know, Again, you can only control so much. And again, a lot of the draft is so much about projectability and how good you'll be in five years and how good you are now. So it's, you know, I totally understood that I was not going to be a right fielder in the big leagues and hit 30 homers. So it just wasn't going to happen. So um, I'm glad I did it and glad I tried it for sure. And at least gave it a shot at catcher. That probably would have been my best chance, honestly, to make it. So I'm glad I at least tried at what I probably had the best opportunity to do. So that's fair. Yeah, so kind of following up on that a little bit, kind of uh, walk us through what were your 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 three seasons in the minor leagues like? Like, what was that process like? Just going through. Yeah, it was man. My first year was tough because um, you know I caught in high school, and <clears throat> but it's a little bit different when you're catching guys throwing you know ninety five to a hundred every day, and it's just a different different ball game. So uh, my first year. I think I caught and I basically caught a game once every two weeks. It's kind of how they had me. And I went to the the Gulf Coast League, which is Florida. You're playing at, you know, you're waking up and you're at the field at 630. You know, you're essentially just all day, every day. So all they wanted me to do my first year was try to catch as many bullpens as possible. Um, and then I would DH some and, you know, try to hit as much as I could. But for them, it was like, hey, your focus is just figure out how to catch catch the baseball, catch it well. So that first year, essentially for me, it was just, it was exhausting, just trying to, pretty frustrating, trying to get it all down and get it, get it going. And then the second year, I would say about the middle of the second year, I finally started to catch some stride and go. And, um, you know, it, I played all right, didn't play great. And, you know, I've really realized now why catchers, it's so hard for them to hit so well because your, your hips, your quick twitch muscles just go so quick when you're, we, you move from like an outfield position to, uh, or, or an infield position to catcher, you're just, you know, that quick twitch muscle, you're just a little bit slower. You're just, and, and you know, you're just so exhausted. Your body's just going through it during the game. So, um, and so it was a little bit of an adjustment just to, you know, get that mindset like, Hey, you're not going to hit 300. You're not going to hit 280. Like you've got to focus on the defensive side of everything and everything else will take care of itself. So, but as a, you know, 2017 was my last full year, um, you know, did well. I, I mean, I was kind of sandwiched between a few guys, a guy that my draft was, you know, third rounder signed for $800,000 and uh, another, a couple of Latin kids that signed for quite a bit of money. And so I was in kind of sandwiched between all of them. And so I would play a couple of times every week or two and just to kind of give those guys a break. So, uh, and I would DH some. So I was kind of becoming a guy that, you know, in a sense, if I want to, would have gone back in 2018, I probably would have gone to double A and probably played once every week or two. Um, just kind of been a backup, be on standby. And, you know, I kind of got the sense of that. And for me as a catcher, you know, if you can give it seven or eight years, you'll make it to the big leagues. And, you know, I think that if I had seven or eight years to do it, I definitely could have. But, you know, uh, being a newly married and ready to start a family, man, it was just it was time to time to call it. But, um, you know, it was, again, I'm glad I tried it out. It just didn't work out for me. Um, 
catching wise, I, I do, you know, if you can just last long enough though, if I had the time, I think I could have at least got there, even if it's for a day or two, um, just because catchers are in such high demand, just injuries all the time. And, you know, defense is so valuable or whatever it is. You need three catchers on, on the roster just because of how injury prone they can be. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of how, how it went down, kind of what it was like. It was a lot of it was my first year and a half was just trying to figure out how to do it more than anything. And then once I got rolling, it was a lot more fun and, you know, being able to really call games and, you know, learn how to catch defensively and all that stuff. It, you know, it, it was a lot of fun and really catching was the most rewarding, you know, position I ever played for sure. When you called a good game or, you know, did, did things behind the dish just because you're involved in every single play, you know, kind of deal. So, um, it was, it was a lot of fun. You know, you know, I wish we could all give it 10 years, whatever it takes to get to the big leagues, but wasn't my position, um, to be able to do so. But again, really glad I tried to do it. You'll, you'll have those memories forever, man. That's, that's awesome yep. stuff right there, but I, I sure. definitely understand having to move on to different, different paths. Mm-hmm. Pro yep. level ball is a different animal. It's kind of hard to get there. Uh, that we, we, Like I said, we've talked to a couple other people and gone through similar <laughs> situations and it's, it's definitely a gauntlet. It is, man. I mean, you, again, you know, just like good, I probably told you, you're making six grand a year or whatever it is. And, you know, you get married, it's just, you know, you've got to, you've got someone else you got to think about. And, you know, that was an easy thing for me. I, you know, no question when it came time to it. And, you know, we were both just tired and we were just, you know, she was traveling with me and we were trying to make it, make it happen and do, make it work. And, you know, we were just, just tired and more than anything. And, you know, she was an unbelievable trooper, just sticking, sticking with it and staying in there for me. And, you know, I knew really she was probably going to have to go find a job and, essentially provide for me if I was going to go back and do it. And I was just like, I'm not, I'm not going to put you in that position at all. So it's a gauntlet. It's, it's tough. You're every single day for six, seven months straight. And you're just, you're just grinding and you just pray for a day off and a good night of sleep. That's kind of what you hope for most of the time. So. It's understandable. So I got a question from a player's perspective you know, you said you transitioned from outfield to catching. Did you notice from, you know, a batting perspective of being able to see the ball a little bit better or differently from when you're in outfield compared to once you were catching, you know, nine, you know, seven, nine innings a game and seeing what pitches are like, do you, do you feel like that gave you a better eye for the ball? Not necessarily because as when you, for me, when, as a catcher, when I transition to catcher, you start trying to outthink and outsmart everybody else and think, Oh, what would I call here? What would I do this? And you start to play more into your tendencies as a catcher and what you would call as opposed to like what the pitcher would. And so you, you get a little bit more mental, but as, as far as like seeing the ball, I felt honestly, like I just felt fresher when I was an outfielder just cause I wasn't squatting 150 times a game, you know, behind the dish, you know, I was just running in and out to the outfield. And so my legs were a lot fresher. I just felt a little bit more mobile, a little bit more active. And so I just felt a little bit more energized in the box as, as an outfielder compared to being a catcher. Yeah. That was more of like the drawback then, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. So kind of as we're getting ready to wrap up here, so give us, what's your take on this season's Arkansas team right now? Yeah, man, they're, they're just a bunch of gritty players. I mean, it's, it's one of those teams, it's an Arkansas team that's just kind of flown under the radar this year, it seems like. And um, they've just kind of, they've just meshed really well. Um, they've played really well and, you know, essentially have kind of put it together quicker than I thought they would. Um, you know, essentially early on, you obviously have Wiggins going down, Tiger going down, Cody Frank. I mean, 
for me, the biggest question was always the bullpen. I knew we were going to, you know, the offense is really good. It, you, you knew they were going to hit and hit pretty well. And so it was more or less just figuring out who could do it in the bullpen. And I thought it would probably take a few more weekends to really figure that out. But Dylan Carter and Gage Wood have really stepped up a lot. And, you know, I'm a firm believer if you're going to make a deep run in the postseason, your bullpen has to be there. And if you don't have a bullpen, it's it's really, really hard to hit your way to Omaha. It's very hard. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it is very, very difficult if you don't have a bullpen to get to Omaha. So um, that, that part has been unbelievable. So they've just kind of – figured out some pieces slowly but surely and just found a way to win games, you know, for the last few months. I mean, it's been, it's been pretty awesome. And, you know, obviously they'll probably, they'll be a little bit more in the spotlight as they play, you know, they got Vandy coming up, South Carolina coming up. Um, so I think those games towards the end will be a lot, a little bit more intense, a little bit more, uh, a little bit more to them um, just from a you know national spotlight type deal. But as man, as far as this, this team's done, I'm I'm really impressed so far, and I think as long as the bullpen can sustain what they've done the last few weeks, I think, you know, again, that's just going to kind of lead us into the postseason, and you know, just go from there. Yeah, I 100 percent agree with that. I I really thought whenever we lost Cody Frank and Tiger both that we were going to go through kind of a struggle period, mm-hmm. trying to get some guys, um, kind of see who would step up. I guess I should say, and I think we saw a little bit of that struggle period, but it didn't last as long as what I was expecting at all. I think it was like two or three games where you could really tell we didn't really know who to mm-hmm. who to throw out there in relief. And then, like you said, you had Carter, Wood. Um, heck, I mean, even Bybee kind of stepped up quite a bit. Yeah. Um, that you didn't know what you was going to get out of those guys, but they really started playing well at the right yeah. time, you know, especially on some of the weekend series now. Um, you know, obviously Tennessee sweeps a prime example of that. Everybody pitched well. Wouldn't matter who was out there. I mean, it seemed like everybody yeah. was throwing the ball well. So, yeah, you got to, like you said, you got to have that to kind of back up that offense, especially when you have nights where you're maybe not hitting quite as well as you might want to be. Yeah. I'm excited and to get a lot of it too. Oh, sorry. I know. No, you're good. A lot of it too is just figuring out. It's it's hard. A lot of guys can do. You know, like Gage Wood. He may be really really good eighth ninth inning, but maybe really bad sixth and seventh inning. Maybe it's just a different mindset. So you, a lot of it, you know, DVH. That's why he's so good at what he does. Is he just eventually finds the right pieces to the puzzle, and um, you know, once he once he finds those pieces and puts it together, you know, it's a really really good, you know, really good good piece of work. So. Um, you know, I think just finding those positions and Dylan Carter just stepped up so well. He's been pretty consistent from day one, just out of that as that long reliever type role. He's been really good. And I think Gage is kind of pitching now how they thought he would in the fall. He was really, really highly, you know, really hyped up in the fall. He did unbelievable. His numbers are really good, his spin rate, a bunch of stuff um like that that were really, really, you know, they were unbelievable. They were kind of top notch and above everybody else. So they thought this is exactly who was going to be showing up day in and day out for the hogs. And so, you know, he's a freshman too. You got to think just as a freshman early on, you're going to have nerves. You're going to, you, it's going to be, it's just a different game. You're pitching in the SEC. You're not pitching in high school anymore. So you just got to, got to dial it in a little bit. You got to be a little bit cleaner. You got to be a little bit more sharp, got to be a little bit more mentally tough. And so he's, I think he's finally kind of settled down and, you know, figured that out a little bit. And I think he's, you know, I think he's going to be a really, really good player for the next two or three years. Yeah, I think so too. Kid's got some energy though. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he's awesome. He's fun to watch. Yeah. yeah. I think another piece that's really kind of helped, helped us bridge the gap is just the flexibility of Hagen Smith this year. Um, 
if you don't have him on the team, I think the the latter part of this year would have been a little bit different than what you've seen, but being able to use him literally wherever you want to and get really solid innings out of him is as I think that's probably been a big help to DVH as well. But yeah, and it's exactly like Zach Jackson was our last year. Um, you know, he was essentially our hey, if we need you Friday night to win a game, you're gonna be you're gonna pitch. If you don't we don't need you Friday, you're gonna pitch Saturday. Or if we don't need you Friday or Saturday, you're going to pitch Sunday kind of deal. So um, it's the exact same role. And, you know, I think if it's it's a great weapon to have somebody that, you know, because, again, coming out of the pen and starting are just so mentally different for pitchers. And so having guys that can be versatile like that is is so valuable for your team and just be able to, you know, just say, hey, well, hey, again, if you don't pitch Friday, you're going to start Saturday or you're going to come out of the pen Saturday if you need you or start Sunday, whatever it is. So. Yeah, Hagen's kind of the um, kind of the ace in the hole that really keeps this bullpen together. I agree. Yeah. So, is, is there a guy this season, whether it be pitching staff or uh, on the hitting side, that kind of took you by surprise on how well they're performing this season? I think, I think the biggest surprise. I mean, I think Borfin is the, the pleasant surprise. Again, you can't predict what he was going to do. You know, Bobby, Bobby Warner is a good friend of mine. And so he, they've been high on Jace ever since he got here. And he, he was hurt and banged up a lot last year, but you know, they thought he was going to be a 300, 330 hitter in the sec. And it was like, you know, he's exceeded all those expectations. I mean, it's been unbelievable watching him go. I think the guy though, that is the most valuable piece and just has been unbelievable. And he impresses me more and more is, is, Josenberger. I mean, it's the quality at bats that he puts together. He's just so disciplined at the plate and takes good swings. He lays off good pitches. You know, he, he takes his walks, he gets his hits. So he's just kind of that spark plug. And, you know, he's a true leadoff guy that, you know, for the hogs and he's been really, really fun to watch. I think that's something we've talked about in previous episodes of the show is just, you know, mm. he's kind of the definition of what you want as a leadoff guy. I know even this weekend, I forgot which game it was, but he had in first inning, he had an 11 pitch walk to lead to start the game. I mean, you can't ask for more than that than working the pitchers and, you know, getting that walk. Yeah. Especially, I mean, especially in the, uh, against Tennessee, who's got three, you know, all three of their starters, even Andrew Lindsay, who they started, you know, it's unbelievable. But if you can get those, whenever we face a good pitcher like, you know, Nola or Daniel Mangden from A&M or Logan Shore, A.J. Puck from Florida, your goal was to try to get them out of the out of the game by the fifth or sixth inning. And so when you have guys like that, they can foul off balls and find a way to get 10 pitch at bats, 15 pitch at bats. Man, it's it's so, so valuable for the team and, and really helps you win that game. And, I you know, again, I think – getting Lindsay out as soon as he can. Again, he's no, it's not like they just threw, threw off that game, you know, just to throw somebody else. Like that guy was very, very good, you know, mid upper nineties and had a two something ERA. So it was, uh, you know, just to be able to do that. And you knew he was only going to have a short, you know, 50, 60 pitches at most just because he hadn't really started much. So just to get him out pretty quick was really valuable for the hogs. I think one thing about Josenberg you got to take into account too, is uh, he's, one of the better center fielders we've had in a few years now, not knocking on anybody else because we've had some great ones, but yeah, we were talking a couple episodes back that probably since um, Fletcher, Dominic Fletcher, probably yeah. 
since then that we've had somebody that's got that much speed on the base pads that's hitting that well that can field as well in the outfield i mean it's, he's he's had some crazy highlight plays a couple home run robberies dude I, he literally does it all for us yeah it's it's center field and you know that's how dvh loves to build his team right up the middle and you know a big reason why john bolton plays every day because the defense is so valuable up the middle um you know catcher shortstop second base center field you you build your team around those guys and go from there and um just to have a lockdown guy like that and you know a lot of it too just getting great reads and um he just does a good job tracking the ball down just a natural athlete transitioning from second base last year so um it's been very valuable to have a really good center fielder uh, it just it changes everything so very true you got anything else caleb I don't think so. I, I know we both appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today, you know, yeah. come on the show and um, just kind of talk through your story and your journey you had. For sure, man. I appreciate you guys having me. I enjoyed it. So, um, yeah, I hope that gave a little bit of insight to it. It was a little bit of a wacky journey, but, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed every second of it. That's awesome, man. Well, like Caleb said, we really appreciate your time coming on, dude. It's been a, been a pleasure talking to you. You got it, man. If you all need me to come back on, just let me know. Yes, sir, sure. we'll do. All right, guys. Y'all take care. You too. See ya. All right. And that was your Hog Talk segment with former Ridgeback baseball player Tyler Spoon. We thank you for tuning in this week. And as always, we'll see you back here next week. Woo pig.